Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. If you're able to stand, would you stand with me as we open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians? As we are turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our kids are dismissed. First Corinthians 15, and we'll begin reading in verse 35. First Corinthians 15, verse 35. When you got it, say so. It says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial one is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord and from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this, now this I say, brethren, the flesh, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Amen. Father, we honor you today, and we thank you so much for the truths that we have been studying over these last few weeks about the resurrection 
and our hope that we have in you, the, the faith that we have in you. And today, as we speak about our glorification, God, I ask you that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us as your sons, as your daughters. I pray for those that may not know you today, Lord God. May you open their ears to hear you as well. We pray, Lord God, above all things, that these words that we read would do what they were sent to do, which was to not just inform us, but to encourage our faith. We thank you, God, for your goodness toward us. We give you all praise. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, if you would, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline so that way you're able to follow along and take some notes. We want you to be able to do that and that you don't just hear the sermon this morning, but you take it with you. Think about these truths that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, today we are... We're, we're, this is kind of like a, a third part of the resurrection series that we started on Easter Sunday as we were dealing with the resurrection. And as I said, the Apostle Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, as he is communicating to the church, he's answering questions that the people at Corinth have, right? And so it was a little bit uh, different in this letter as he's writing to them. He's giving them answers to these different questions, and he's speaking to them about different things. And he comes to the question of resurrection, and he's speaking to them about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus as we saw in, for, in the beginning of the chapter. We talked about one of the first creeds of the church which said that Jesus died according to the scriptures for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And so we were reminded of the, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus did actually rise. We talked about it. I, I shared that, that, that the statement that I repeat later on, that stubborn fact of the resurrection resurrection. Uh, I always want to give credit. The first time I heard it, Dr. Pete Owenson was sharing on the resurrection the Tuesday before uh, Easter Sunday, and he shared the, those words, and I thought that that was important. It was important for us to think about as believers. This is a stubborn fact. You know, you ever, you ever had someone stubborn in your life? <laughs> are, are you someone stubborn in someone's life? <laughs> You just won't leave them alone, right? They, 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 you, they, they can't get rid of you no matter what, right? And, and that's the resurrection of Jesus, right? It, it's, it's one of those facts that just doesn't go away, right? Like, like every year, like, like every archaeological dig, like every new book that is written on this particular topic, it's, it's a fact that cannot be refuted, right? It's, it's, it's something that's there. It's, it's, it's like a, a rock that got stuck in your shoe, right? And it is just there. It, it's not going anywhere, right? The truth is that that's the resurrection of Jesus. But the resurrection of Jesus gives us faith. It's why, it's why we have faith. It's why we sing the songs that we sang this morning. And, and we're reminded of what Jesus did. The reason why we are able to sing with, with faith and sing with hope is because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we dealt with that on Easter Sunday. And then last Sunday, as Pastor Aldo alluded to, we talked about not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the the denial that was happening there of the resurrection period. Because if dead people don't rise, then Jesus could not rise. It, it, it couldn't have happened if dead people don't rise. And yet the apostle Paul is going through this whole refutation of that idea. And he continues it in the, in, in the portion of scripture that we're dealing with today. If you look at your outline here, and this morning we're going to talk about the foundation, foundation for glorification. Foundation for glorification. And I want to let you know today we're going to talk about death. Hallelujah. 
I know you came to church. You woke up this morning. You're like, I want to hear about dying. Hallelujah. Right? It's like going to the doctor, and you want to hear a good report, and he's like, um, can you come to the back room with me real quick? we got to have a conversation. You don't want that conversation, right? You, you, you want him to say, hey, everything is good. As a matter of fact, you don't even want the call back. Amen. Right? <laughs> you get the call back, you're like, oh, my Lord. Everything starts running wild in your head, right? And so this morning, we're going to talk about death. And here's the thing. Some of the scariest and, and even some of the saddest thoughts that most people have are associated with death. Nobody, no, 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 uh, nobody that I know, I, I remember being around eight, uh, I, I'm thinking eight, between like eight and ten years old, and, 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 and I had this epiphany that my mother would die. And it was the saddest, scariest thought. I was crying, I was emotional, because I was like, she's going to die. <laughs> and and, and what, when I come to her, what is she going to say? Well, when, it's not today, how do you know? And, and, and somehow, by the grace of God, I don't remember, I don't remember past the, tr the tragic thing that was going on in my heart. I wish I could tell you, yeah, it was, you know, they said this to me, they said that to me. I'm sure between her and my grandmother, they encouraged me beyond my, my fears. But nonetheless, my point is, when, 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 when I understood death, it, it hit me, right? It, it was something that I wasn't like, yes. It's like, no. Especially not my mom, right? And so anyway, there it is. But for the follower of Jesus, look at your outline. For the follower of Jesus, death is solely a transition from the temporary into the eternal. As followers of Jesus, although we can't see it clearly and, and intend to hold dear to things and people in this life, and there's nothing wrong with that, eternity with our creator, God, and Father is our hope. This is our glorification. And so I know some of you, again, you know, we talk about bucket lists and stuff like that. Some of you are like, man, I'm young, Bishop. I don't want to die. I don't want to die either. I, I still feel young sometimes. <sighs> There's some days I'm like, I, I know I'm a little older than I was. But this morning I'm feeling relatively young and I, I'm not ready to kick the bucket. Hello, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to live on. I, I want to do a few things, you know. But, but, but the truth is, right, if, if, if Jesus doesn't return, I am going to experience death. And I've got to look at it from a biblical perspective, right? See, this, this, see that's the beauty, right? And, and I wish I could, I, could, I, I, could, I could quote Sigmund Freud, but he says something to the effect of this. You know, he's like the father of psychology, and he says something to the effect of, and then there is death. No one has an answer for this. Yes, someone does. You see, where, where worldly psychology fails, where the thoughts and promptings of men fail, where the understanding and ideologies of natural man fail, God doesn't. And God gives us these words. And so my hope is not that you'll walk out here like, yes, I want to die today. I'm not trying to say that. But at minimum that you will be like, if I die today, I can rejoice in glory. That you will not fear death, that you will look at it as a transitional piece in your life to where you are going to be with him. Now listen, here's the truth. The truth is, if you do not have faith in Jesus, this is not hope for you. 
See, in, in, in that moment, and, I, and I'm pretty sure as an eight-year-old, I, I, was, I, I wasn't really sure about faith and, and all of that stuff in and, and, and my life. And so I had to be encouraged about eternity. I had to be encouraged about these truths that probably gave me peace. And so here's the thing. If we want to have peace, if we want to be okay with breathing our last breath, then we have to make sure we have peace with God. That's where we get peace from God in these moments. That's why the Apostle Paul writes these words, not just here, but you go to the letter of 1 Corinthians, and I mean 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and he's encouraging the church of Thessalonica, another church, another body of believers that was concerned about the, resurre- about the resurrection, about the rapture, about the second coming of the Lord, and he encourages them about those who have died because they were worried. Well, if these people died before Jesus came, where are they? And he's encouraging their faith. That is a good thing for for those who believe. So if you're not a believer, today is a good day for you to make that decision. Today is a good day for you to consider where you are at with God. Are you going to be glorified with him? Because here's the thing that I say, and, 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 and this you have to grasp. Everybody will rise again. Hear me. Whether we believe or not, whether whether we put our faith in Jesus or not, every one of us will rise again. And we will rise for judgment's sake. And either we will be rising to be received into the kingdom of God or we will be rising to be cast out of God's presence for all of eternity. This is a reality that we have to come to and and understand. And so the truth is, I want to offer you the hope that the Bible offers. And so I want you to think about this this morning. The glorification we look forward to should lead to our glorification of the risen one. The glorification that we look forward to, and I I repeat this at the end for my last point, but it should lead us to our glorification of the risen one. And so if I believe, if, if, if we believe the songs we were singing this morning, right, if we believe the words of Scripture, what should happen is that I should live a life that wants to bring glory to the one who is risen. If I really believe now, this is, this is the test, right? If I really believe what it is that scriptures teach about Jesus, if I really believe that Jesus is the risen one, if I really believe this, that has to make me live different. Has to make you live different. If, if I believe that, if, if I believe that I'm going to stand before God in judgment, hello, I'm going to live differently. Right? It's, it's kind of like your kids, right? If, 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 if they believe you're going to lay the smack down, right? There's, there, there's a moment in my conversation with my kids, right, where my voice changes and they're like, okay. Like they're good all up in, you know, hey, can you please, and, and they might act a fool. But once, once the bass goes a little and, 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 the, and, the, and the octave go, you know, the, the volume goes a little higher, oh, I got to tighten up right now because it's about to happen. Oh, yeah, it's about to happen. <laughs> it just got real. That's how we live. Because here's the thing. Again, nobody is promised tomorrow. Every one of us in this room knows somebody who they suddenly died. Every one of us knows, knows someone or of someone who they were, they were living. Man, they died too young. Or that was unexpected. Unexpected for us. You know who holds life and death in his hands? God Almighty. 
And so again, we, we, we'll live different. If, if we believe that Jesus is risen, if we really believe this, this causes us to live our lives differently. This changes our value system. This changes the way that we think. And so let's look at this first point. Please repeat this after me. Say, just as Jesus rose in a glorified body, so will we. Just as Jesus rose in a glorified body, so will we. And so verse 35, the Apostle Paul, he begins, He begins. you can look at this in, in your Bible. It says, but some will say, right? And so these are the, are, are the, are the Greek philosophers, right? Or, the, or it could have been some of the Sadducean Christians, right? So the Sadducees, you remember them from the time of Jesus. When, when Jesus was walking on the earth, there was this group of Sadducees. They, they believed the Bible, but they didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the Bible. Body. And so, because they didn't believe this, they would be mixed up in the crowd. Like, they want Jesus for salvation. They, they, they want to put their faith in Christ, but they don't want to believe everything, right? And so they're, they're, they're also known as skeptics, right? And so their, their question is, but some will say, how are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? I love Paul's response. Foolish one. You fools. You, you, you ignorant ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And so he goes, he, he shifts on them to this agricultural mindset, right? He's like, listen, the, the seed has to die in order for it to live, in, in order for it to live, right? You know this, right? If, if, the, if the seed doesn't die, it doesn't grow. It can sit there. And, but, but if it dies, then it's going to actually live. And he goes on, he says in verse 37, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be. In other words, what you put in the ground is not what comes up. It's not a seed that pops up like a seed that just grows big, right? That's not what happens. Right? You put a seed in the ground, there is a plant, there is a tree, there is something that comes from this seed. And so he, again, he's pointing this picture out to them, he's explaining to them, but mere grain, perhaps wheat, or some other grain. And I love this, verse 38, here's the, here, here, here's, here's the crux of, of his argument, but God gives it a body as he pleases, hallelujah. So how will we rise? God is going to give us a body as he pleases. And, and, and when, when they're asking this question, right, they're asking this question kind of like we do as we're growing up and we get to this certain point in our life, we ask why about everything. Hallelujah. And I don't know when we stop asking why. I don't think we ever stop asking why. The reality is it's just something that we do. And, and sometimes there's, you know, good reason, right, to ask why. Other times it's just foolish. Why? Because the answer is right in front of you. The, the reason's there. The question is, are you going to take the answer that's there? Are you going to accept it at face value? You see, again, I want to point this out. The sad yet inevitable fact of living in a fallen world is the reality of death we will all face it. Whether it is us facing it ourselves or us facing it in the lives of others, we're all going to face this. And so what does the Apostle Paul go on to say? So let's read. I, I want us to read. We're just going to walk through this text and just see what the Apostle is communicating about us being here now and what it's going to look like later on. He says this, verse 39, he says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another flesh of fish, and another flesh of birds. Again, giving us just some natural pictures for us to see. Okay, glorified bodies are different than natural bodies. Again, verse 40, there are also celestial or heavenly bodies, and there are terrestrial or earthly bodies, but the glory of the celestial, the heavenly one, and the glory of the terrestrial one are, is, is, is another. And so, 
I just want you to know in your glorified body, right, in this glorified body, like, we, we glorify things like, you know, six-pack abs, right? I don't know. Some of you. Some of you are like, no, I don't care about that. But anyway, whatever. We, we glorify physiques, right? We, we glorify. So we, we look at certain things like that's what we want. That's the glory of this natural body, right? That, that, he's saying the glory of, of the heavenly body is different. So we have a different, so, you know, you may think, well, I'm going to be at my best. Well, that, that, you're going to, it's a different glory that we're going to see when we are resurrected. It's, it's a completely different comparison that, that, that he gives you. So, again, he's pointing out there's a difference. There's one glory for the natural or the earthly. There's another glory for the heavenly, verse 40, 41. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. And so we know that. We look at astronomy. I mean, so Paul is making this great picture. Why, why, why does this matter? I, I just want to pause for a moment. Why, why, why does Paul go through this, right? Because what Paul is trying to say is, man, if you would just look at just, just the natural things in front of you, you wouldn't have this dumb question. Hello. What he's saying is that there is, a, there, there is a plethora of information before you that would make you sit back and not, well, well tell me, because it's like a prideful thing. Like, well, tell me what this glorified body is going to be like. Hold on a second. Just look at stuff. You know it's going to be different. Like, like, you're wanting me to explain something, but there's all kinds of pictures and examples that would give you to be able to say, man, I, you know, it's, it's just going to be different. That's it. We could we just accept that. But again, I just want you to see, he's pointing all of this out. Verse 42, he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. So he points all of this out, and he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So, so, so your body, and some of you that are getting older, you may, you, some of you haven't hit this point yet in your life. You still feel invincible. You feel no pain. Everything people warn you about, you're like, oh, don't lift with your back. You're like, shut up. And, you, and you're doing it. There's going to come a day, if Jesus doesn't return, and you don't die before then, you're going to remember, man, I shouldn't have lifted with my back. I should have lifted with my legs. Anyway, that's another day, another topic. But some of you are, are, are not feeling the corruption of the body yet, right? Others of you are like, yeah, this thing is corrupt. Hello. <laughs> this, thing, this thing is decaying. This thing is like falling apart. Hello. <laughs> so, so the apostle Paul is saying, he, you, you're, you're going to sow, you sow this body in corruption, <laughs> and then you reap it with incorruption. So, so, so one thing we know is that we go back to being pain-free. Hello. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> it, is, it is sown, verse 43. It is, it is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is, it is sown in weakness. That, that, that word weakness there can actually be in sickness, in infirmity. And it is raised in power. So is the resurrection. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, a physical body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life, a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. I just want us to pause. Verse 44, I want you to think about this because here's something I want you to understand. We need to be assured of this. Hear me now when I say this. We need to be assured of this. As we get closer to our last breath, we are getting closer to our best breath. Are you here? That is our assurance 
that as we get closer to our last breath, we are getting closer to our best breath. We've never experienced life. Listen, no matter how good your life has been in this world, the life that is to come is incomparable. There, there is no comparison to this. And so Paul is, is, is trying to help us to see the, the life that God is offering us in eternity. And so, again, we live a certain way while we're living here. We don't just ignore the, the, the things in this world, right? Like we're just going to sit in a corner and just wait till we breathe our last. No, that's not the point here. The point is that we look forward to a glorified state, a state where there's no more pain, there's no more. So Listen, when we do communion every week, don't we rejoice in that? Hallelujah. That's what salvation is, is fully about. And so while Adam, and I want you to think about these words that the Apostle Paul writes here, verse 45. He says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. You see that in the book of Genesis. God creates him from the dust, breathes life into him. And then he, the scripture says he becomes a living soul. He becomes a living being, right? But, but, he's, but, but he makes a comparison, and he says the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And so as we keep reading, look at what he's trying to say here. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. So we don't just go after we get born again and we just all of a sudden become spiritual. We're still living in this natural world. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is Lord from heaven. Uh -huh. And as the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's you and I. We're made of dust and we're just like him. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. So now if you are, if you are born again, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you are walking in that relationship with him, right, then you are assured of what? That you are going to be like him, right? That, I mean, this is what the scriptures are telling us, that we now have this, this dual identity, right? We're here. We're still dealing with corruption. We're still dealing with sin. We're still dealing with pains and aches and all kind of heartbreaks and all that. We're still dealing with that. And yet we're assured of something else because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. And he goes on and he says, and we, as we, verse 49, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Hallelujah. See, this is our hope, right? Our hope is that the same way that we have bore the image of Adam, the first Adam, the first man, we bore his image. The same way we do that, if we're followers of Jesus, we know that we will bear the image of Jesus fully when we are in our resurrected and glorified state. We want to see that, don't we? Amen. See, while Adam, here's what I want you to get from this point, though. While Adam could have, he could have, listen now, while Adam could have brought life to humanity, you know what he brought? He brought sin and he brought death. He can't, he can't give us, so Jesus is the life-giving spirit. He's the one that gives spiritual life. Jesus, in his sinless life, being tempted in all ways and yet never sinning, though the, through his death in our place and his resurrection, he gives us life and he gives us the assurance of eternal life in this glorified state we'll be in. That's our hope. The second thing here, say this with me, because Jesus, because Jesus defeated death, defeated death, death is our transition to victorious glorification. Because Jesus defeated death, death again, I said this earlier, is a transitional piece or part in our lives. And again, it's not, I, I, you know, we're, we're probably, I, I, don't, I don't expect that you're going to be like excited about dying or excited about, you know, loved ones going to be with the Lord before you. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. 
But nonetheless, we need to see death from the right perspective. And when we understand the resurrection, we see death death differently. We view it from a different place. So in verse 50, he says this. It says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in corruption. So the apostle Paul reminds us that there are two possible ends for all of us in, in this portion of scripture. He goes on to say this, behold, I tell you a mystery. Here it is. We shall not all sleep. And he's not talking about taking a nap. He's saying we shall not all die. That's what he's saying there. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Now. He reminds us there's, there, there's, two, there's two end times, right? Like people like to hear about end times, right? Well, there's two end times. <laughs> there's your end time. <laughs> and then there are the end times for everyone who's alive at the end of times. Hello. But there's two, right? One of them is that we, that we fall asleep in, the, in this proverbial sense. We die, and then that's, that's the end of time for us. That, that's our end time. That, that, that is when our life is done. And so we have, to be, we have to know this, though, whether we are the ones that go to sleep, the ones that die, then, or, or we are the ones that are raptured. Those are the two ways that this happens. There's transformation for both of them. So those, so those who are dead, how they're going to come back? Well, well, the Apostle Paul just explained it pretty well. Didn't? We're not going to go back and do that. But how are they? The, well, the ones who have died, the ones who are in the ground, right? The way the Greeks believe, they're like, well, hey, everybody goes back to dust. And so really, you know, we're actually, everybody's part of us because they went back to dust. They're in the ground. They're like fertilizer. That's what they believed, right? And, 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 and they're, 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 there's, anyway, we'll talk about that another day. The point is... <laughs> They're, they're, they're saying, well, 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 if we're, we're eating, right, there, there was some, I can't remember who it was, but literally his, his coffin was by a tree. This, this, is, this is a picture that I'm trying to paint here for you that the Greeks believed here. He, he, his coffin was, was somewhere near a tree. It was an apple tree. And the apple tree, when they, when they exhumed his body, they, they literally found the roots of the apple tree connected to his body. So everybody who ate of that apple tree was technically eating of him. Hello. But this, is, but this is what the Greeks, this is what their philosophy believed, right, in general. Like, this is, this is what was happening. So, so how are these people that, and again, this is just a graphic picture. How are these people that we have eaten of, how are they coming back? How is that happening? Well, because they were sown in corruption. And when God calls it, he's giving them a new body. He's giving them a, rest, a glory. He doesn't, listen, he doesn't even need any of this stuff. All right, well, we'll keep going. <laughs> now everybody's going to be eating apples like, oh. <laughs> whose coffin is this connected to? <laughs> Listen, y'all been eating that for a long time, so you're good. Don't worry about it. You're, you're, we're good. Amen. It's blessed. It's blessed. Just... The Apostle Paul is teaching us of our end times. Again, here's the thing. The right view of the resurrection gives us a right view of, of the end. It gives us a, an anticipated hope. 
We look forward. Again, I'm not saying like we just want to go. Like, yo, let's, let's tap out now and let's go. That, that's not what we're saying. But what did the Apostle Paul say? I, he, he said, man, I'm torn. He's like, I'm torn because part of me wants to remain here with you, but to be, to, but, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That, but why does he have that hope? He has that hope only and solely because Jesus rose from the dead. I don't want you to lose sight of where this hope comes from. This hope doesn't come from a list of things that show you what, what new bodies and old bodies. That, 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 that isn't where this hope comes from. This hope comes from a risen Savior. Because Jesus rose, we have this hope in death. Because he rose, we struggle between being here in this body and being a benefit to those and a blessing to those around us and wanting to be with the Lord. That, 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 that's only because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus experienced death in our place. And having risen from the dead, he brings assurance to the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And this is so important for us, right? That we don't forget that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. This is important when you think about the prophecies that were made in Scripture about Jesus. Look, the, the Bible is written years and years before Jesus ever existed, and yet these Scriptures point to him clearly. And so we have to look at that as valid proof of who he is. And so the Apostle Paul, he goes on to say this, verse 54, he says, So when, so when this, this corruptible has put on incorruption... And this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, or death, where is your victory? See, 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 when, when, when we're not walking with Christ, death wins. Did you hear that? When we are not walking with Jesus, death wins. But when we are followers of Jesus, death no longer has victory. The moment we breathe our last, the, 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 the moment we breathe our last, again, we're getting ready to breathe our best. Death no longer wins. And so now we have a different hope. Look at what Isaiah says. This, this is actually a quote. This is one verse quoted from Isaiah, Isaiah 25. And, and, and Isaiah, the prophet, written hundreds of years before Jesus existed, he said this, and he said, he will swallow up death forever. Hallelujah. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people, he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Hallelujah. In the resurrection of Jesus, we're offered forgiveness for sins. In the resurrection of Jesus, we're offered a future where there's no more tears. Anybody looking forward to that? That is the hope of us who believe. And so again, Jesus destroyed the power of death. Now we go on in this text here. Look at verse 56. Verse 56. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I want you to turn somewhere really quickly, just a couple of chapters over to the book of Colossians. I want, I want to read this to you. Um, 
with you actually, the book of Colossians chapter 2. And so the book of Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, again, this is the same author, just a different book. He's writing to a different part of the church, the church of Colossae. And as he's writing this epistle to them, he is encouraging them in their faith. And I want you to see what he says to them. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Look what he says in, in, in this idea of him breaking the power of death, of him breaking and destroying the power of sin, of him fulfilling the law perfectly on our behalf. He gives us victory and a guarantee of our glorious resurrection. Are you there? First uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 11. Look what he says. He says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He's speaking of when they have come to Christ, what happens to us. God removes the filth of sin from our lives. He says this buried with him in baptism. And so not necessarily the baptism of water, but baptism into a relationship with him. But it's always culminated with the baptism in water. This is what, for those, for those of you that were baptized or those of you that are, are going to be baptized, this is what that symbol that uh, buried with him in baptism. When we go down into the waters, we are buried with him. That's the symbol that is happening there in which you also were raised. When we come up out of the water, raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. When we come out of those waters, we're identifying with what Christ did. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Look at this. I love this having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, I want you to think about verse 14 for a second because here's what happens. Because of God's law, right, the power, the power of sin is the law. God's law says you are a lawbreaker, right? So if you've ever told a lie, you're a lawbreaker. That means you owe somebody something. Have you ever looked at someone lustfully? That means that you are an adulterer at heart. That means you owe somebody something. And guess who you owe? It's not, it's not the tax man. Hello. It's God Almighty. It's the Holy One. You owe something because you are breaking his law. You break the laws of this land, and guess what? You got to pay somebody something if you get caught. Hello. See, the thing is this. You can hide, you know. You, you, you can have a dashboard component that will help you hide from that radar up the road. Hello. But there is no component for you to hide from the king of heaven. See, you may, you, may, you may deceive everybody else, but guess who you're not deceiving? It's him. You may fool everyone else. You may have everyone believing that you're just wonderful. But guess what? God knows our hearts. God sees the actions that no one else sees. And so... When he, when, he, when, he, when he is saying here that this, 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 this he, he wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that's literally the, the debt that was written against us. So I want you to think about this. Every lie you tell, we're just going to throw this out there, right? Every lie you tell, 1000 bucks. Yeah, it went up. Because you think lying is not a bad thing. <laughs> Her lie. And every time you tell it, it's triple. Hello. We, 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 we raising this thing up. We raising this up. 
But I want you to think about your life for a moment. So I just told you about the lies you've told. Forget about everything else, because I know everybody in here is a liar. Hello. <laughs> I know, I know. That was so mean, Bishop. Listen, every, is there anybody in here who has not told a lie? Raise your hand if you've never told a lie. Okay, good. You ain't lying now. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so if you have told a lie, that makes you a liar. Someone say amen. amen. That's not mean, Bishop. That's just the truth, right? So here's the thing. I want you to think about every lie you've ever told. Uh-huh. That $1,000 just is like, woo. Is it, right, anyway. Now, now, now think about that for a moment because that is, that is an example of what happens every time you break God's law. You incur debt. You incur debt. You incur debt. Lie, $1,000. Lie, $1,000. Lie, $3,000. Told it again, right? I mean, you just incurring debt, incurring debt. What are you going to do about that debt when you stand before the debt collector? How, how do you pay that debt? Do you have the ability just on your lies alone? We haven't even talked about your lust for wandering eyes. We, have, we haven't even talked about the bitterness in your heart. We haven't even talked about the foul words that come out of your mouth. We have, listen, we haven't even talked about the times you've gotten drunk. We're not talking about the times you've had sex out of marriage. Every one of those things, I'm not even going to put a price on them. I'm just going to let you know. Listen, all of those things, so you're just listing up debt, 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 debt. Talk about raising the debt ceiling. Come on now. And at the end of your days, you got to make it right. Because you're going to stand before the judge. You're going to be, oh, you owe me. How do you pay that? Well, I'm going to do a lot of good works. You got enough good works to pay for all those lies? And as a matter of fact, how do you know how much? See, I told you what the lie costs. I don't know what the, I don't know what the good work is, right? Let's just say the good work is like 50 bucks. Come on, Bishop, can I get 1000 No, 50 We We're only giving you $50 credit for what you're doing. You know, you know how the debt collector is. Come on now. Oh, but that sounds unjust. No, but our God is the just and justifier. Because what our God does is he takes our certificate of debt. That's what that's called. He takes the certificate of debt and he wipes it clean by his blood. It says he nailed it to the cross. So you remember when Jesus was on the cross? Remember they put that inscription over his head, king of the Jews? Well, here's what he does for each one of us. He goes to the cross and he says liar, he says adulterer, he says thief, he says whatever it is you've done, he nails it to the cross and it is there. And that is what the gospel is. That is what Jesus does. And because he rose again, hallelujah. We know we can be forgiven. And I don't have to pay, man, my debt is way bigger than anybody in here. Hello. I don't have to pay that debt myself. He paid the price for me. He paid the price for you. But we don't get that benefit unless we put our faith in him. Unless we trust him. Unless we surrender our life to him. If we don't do that, we're walking around in doubt. We're walking around, well, well then we got, we got debt to pay. But the scripture says that he nailed it to the cross. When he was nailed to the cross, that's what Jesus did for us. That's the gospel, my friends. I love this last verse, verse 15. <clears throat> Having disarmed principalities and powers, 
he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Listen, there is no devil. There is no stronghold. There is no power of darkness that can hold you back from what God wants from you, for you. There is no thing that can hold you back from his love if you surrender to him. There is no thing that can come against you and destroy your life if you surrender to him. God is a deliverer. And so we have the opportunity to put our faith, our trust in him, our hope in him, which brings us to our third point. Say this with me. The assurance of our victorious glorification must lead us to live for God's glory. See, the fact that what we just said is true, the fact that Jesus rose, it should lead us to live for his glory, right? Because, because what? Because we are sure, right? What was the, the big idea was? The glorification we look forward to should lead us to our glorification of the risen one. That was the big idea. I said I would repeat it later on. But because we are sure about this glorification, we should lead a life that lives for his glory. And so because we're sure that Jesus rose again, because we're sure, because of this foundation, we should be living a certain way. The only reasonable response, the only reasonable way you can respond to God is by faith with works. Hello. Only reasonable way that we can respond. So because of this, look what the Apostle Paul says, verse 58, one of my life verses, one of my favorite verses in the Scripture. Therefore, my beloved brethren. Therefore is there for a reason. Hello. Therefore, because of everything we just talked about, because of the resurrection of Jesus being true, because he really died for your sins, because he was really buried, because he really rose again, because of all of these things, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Therefore, my be- because of what Jesus did, because of the resurrection, now you should be steadfast. Now you should be immovable. Now you should always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Now you should know because Jesus is alive, your work is not in vain. See, if you're serving a dead God, all your work is in vain. So what does it look like to live for God's glory? This is what it looks like. This passage here is what it looks like to live for his glory. But let me say this this way. To live for God's glory is to live a life seeking one thing above everything else, and that is to please him. Is that how you're living today? Are you living your life for one thing above every other thing? In your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, wherever you find yourself, are you living for that one thing? Or are you living for a bunch of other things? See, because the truth is we're supposed to be living for one thing, and that's to please him above every other thing. And so what does he say? The apostle Paul gives us these words, and he tells the church of Corinth, and and, and by telling the church of Corinth this, he's telling every generation after them, he's telling us today, he's telling every generation that will live after us, he's telling them the same four things. Number one, be steadfast. Say, be steadfast. steadfast. What does be steadfast mean? It means stand firm. Stand firm in what? Stand firm in the gospel. 
Go back to the beginning of this chapter. Go back to the creed that is there. Stand firm in the gospel. Stand strong in the gospel. Don't allow the liars. Don't allow the deceivers. Don't allow, listen, don't allow the doubters in your life to cloud the truth of the gospel. The gospel is true. G again, according to the scriptures, Jesus died for your sins, for my sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the, this is truth. He was seen by the apostles. He was seen by hundreds of people. All of this has been verified again. This is a stubborn truth. Stand firm. If you're a follower of Jesus, stand firm. And then, and then listen, don't just stand firm, right? I need, I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Come here. Whoever, one of you, just come up here. So I want you to stand firm. Stand firm. Not, not, not. And it's good that I brought him. Y'all don't know this about him, but you see, I, I want you to understand. Aaron is, is a hockey player. Hallelujah. So he knows how to stand firm and on ice. Hello. So you stand firm. So he's standing firm right now, right? But then, but then the next word is be immovable. See, it, it's one thing to stand, right? It's another thing to be immovable. See, so he, he moved a little bit, right? And, but, but, but listen, I'm, 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 I'm a little heavy. But anyway, here's the thing, right? <laughs> I had to prove how strong I was in that moment. So I leaned. He wasn't ready for that. But nonetheless, here, right? But, but be immovable. So when the, when the winds come, when the hardships come, right, stand firm. Be immovable. Don't be shaken. Why does he say be immovable? Because winds are going to blow. Hardship is going to come. Doubt is going to come your way. And guess what? We need to stand firm, but we also need to be immovable when hardship comes our way. Thank you, my brother. Don't be shaken. Listen, they're going to write more books. Hello? There's going to be more liars that are going to come out there and talk about how Christianity is false. Listen, Christianity has been standing that test for years and years and years. They, it, it, if, if it was false, believe me, we wouldn't be here today. People wouldn't have died for this. The apostles gave their lives not for a lie but for a risen Savior. You got to think about this. Just, just one picture just to think about. Think about this for a moment. Everybody abandoned Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. They all left him. They weren't hanging out. When, when, when Mary Magdalene came back to the tomb, it wasn't because she was expecting a resurrected Savior. It's because she wanted to bring perfumes and stuff like that. It wasn't because they were like, oh, he said he was right. That wasn't why they came back. Why does that matter? They weren't willing to die when they saw him dying. But when they saw him alive, they said, oh, we'll give our life for this. Again, the resurrection is true. Be steadfast. Be immovable. And can I tell you the best way to be immovable? Give yourself to the work of the Lord. Hello. Don't, don't, don't sit back and I'm chilling. I'm watching everybody else. Watching you work. Watching you do work. Oh, yes, I'm immovable. You're not immovable. You're lazy. You're not committed. You're not connected to the body the way that you ought to be. 
But, but, but we're supposed to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always giving us, making sure that we are committed 100% to the things of the Lord. So listen, you're being a mom. Moms, listen up. Listen up, moms. You be a mom for the glory of God. Give yourself wholeheartedly for the work of the Lord. Don't let it end there. Come on now. Dads, listen, pop. You need to give yourself wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. Not just working to bring money into the house, working to build a family to build a destiny, to build up, what, for the kingdom, for the glory of God. That's what should be happening. And we should be desiring. I love that, I, you know, um, the, the other, the, uh, a couple of days ago, a, a giant in the faith, Charles Stanley, passed away at 90 years old. And they, they, they put an article out for him in churchleaders.com, and it was his grandson. And his grandson put a, put a YouTube video, and I'll share it with you guys, uh, and that way you can see it. But his grandson did a YouTube video, and his YouTube video, he was saying, a phone call from my grandfather saved my life. And this young man, he's still struggling with drug addiction. He's still struggling with different things in his life. He's like, man, I'll try to get into ministry, but I keep on struggling in these areas. But he, he remembers when he was about to kill himself. And his grandfather called him up on the phone and said, you know, I heard you're not doing too well and you want to end your life. And he said, why don't you give Jesus one more try? And that changed that child's life. This young man's life who was going to kill himself just one. And listen, so you think of Charles Stanley. All, all, everybody in here has probably heard a sermon from Charles Stanley. If you haven't, I can assure you you've heard a quote. You didn't even know it. Someone didn't give him credit. But this guy's been around for a long time. One of, one of the best Bible teachers out there, one of the most committed men to God's word. I actually read the way that he studies for scripture, the way he studied for preaching sermons. It was insane. I was like, man, I need to step up. Hello. But we think about the lights. We think about the big church. And, and he, listen, he was, he, was, he was given to the work of the Lord, but it wasn't just that. It was to that phone call that was so important to his grandkid. Listen, so whatever you're doing, abound in the work of the Lord. What do I mean by abound in the work? Listen, don't leave anything in the tank. Hello. When you die, when you breathe your last, you should be crawling across the doggone finish line like, Lord, I'm here. Hallelujah. <laughs> huh. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to bring them here to speak again. But Lizelle's parents, I mean, they're a prime example. They were retired, hello, sold everything, went to Honduras been in ministry. Her dad, he, I mean, this guy's had surgery. He cannot stay here in the United States, hello. He wants to leave it all on the field for the glory of God. And so that, you believe in the resurrection? You believe Jesus rose? Have you given yourself fully to the work of the Lord? That's what we should be doing. And the last thing he says, he wants you to do this. Know this, your labor is not in vain. Or it may feel like it's in vain sometimes. You may feel like no one's listening, and sometimes they're not. Hello. I'm a preacher. I know this for sure. <laughs> I am no fool. <laughs> why, why do you think I preach series so I can repeat myself? Hello. Come on, let me. <laughs> you're going to catch it 19, and one, and one of 19 times you're going to get it. But sometimes they're not listening. Sometimes they're not devoted like they should be. Sometimes they're not serving as they should. Sometimes it seems like they're just, like your words, your actions, like nothing you do matters. Oh, it matters. Because you're not doing it for me. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for him. That's why we live for the glory and the honor of God. I'm getting ready to wrap up here. The resurrection of Jesus, again, I say this. 
is the surest foundation that you and I can stand upon. The stubborn fact has stood the test of nearly 2,000 years of liars, of scrutiny, of doubt, and of flat-out deniers who had no evidence of him not being risen. And so, and so the thing is this, Jesus rose, you and I will rise, and if we are his followers, we will be glorified with him. That is our hope. That is our hope. And so my closing question for you this morning is this, are you living with the assurance that you will be glorified with Christ for all of eternity? And I, I notice I, I, I didn't say, do you believe this? I didn't say that. I said, are you living with this assurance? I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to look at what you know here. I don't want you to look at what you say you feel here. I want you to look at how you're living here. It's because it's so easy for us to be like, yes, I, I'm living with assurance. Are you living with assurance? Is your life showing that you believe this? Are you steadfast? Are you immovable? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Do you know that it's not in vain and that's why you continue on? And you know, you know what? Maybe, maybe you, you've thrown in the towel realistically and you're like, well, we'll see. I hope so. But listen, what I want you to know is that if you're not living with that assurance, you can leave here today living with that assurance. Don't listen to me preach and don't sit here and hear me and, and, and walk out the same way you walked in. Make a commitment to the Lord today and say, God, I'm yours. I want to be, I want to stand firm. I want to be immovable. I want to abound and work for you for your glory. I want my life to matter when I stand before you because I've lived it for you. I ask you to stand to your feet, please. Bow your heads. Hallelujah. So first, I want to ask if there's anyone in this place that has not committed their lives to Christ. And today you say, Lord, here I am. I want to be yours. I want a new life. I want to live for your glory. Jesus, I believe you rose. Jesus, I believe that you are the solution for my sin. You are the only one who can save and I want you to save me. I want you to fill me. I want, I want, I want a new life. So if that's you in this place, I want to invite you to come forward and I want to pray with you. If that's you, don't wait for somebody else. If that's you, come forward. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. And if you're in here and maybe you have made a commitment to Christ before, but 
As you heard this message, you know that you're not living. You believe these things, but you're not living. You're not living knowing that you're going to be glorified with him. You're still living for yourself. You're still living for your own desires, your own will, and you say, Lord, not anymore. I want to live fully for you. If that's you, I want to invite you to come forward as well because I want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And listen, I don't know what God spoke to you, but if the Lord spoke to you in this place and you want someone to pray with you, we're here to pray with you. And so what I'm saying is don't, don't stay in your seat if you know that you need to come forward. You need someone to pray with you. Don't allow anything to hold you back. Let the Holy Spirit work in your heart. Say yes to him. Surrender to him. Submit to him. Hallelujah.